What is up, podcast listeners? This is your host, Vinamur Kasana. You're listening to the Vinamur Kasana Show. On this episode of my podcast, I have with me graphologist and high-performance coach Aditi Surana. Uh, this episode will literally blow your mind as Aditi dissects how um, your personality can be inferred from your handwriting. That's right. That's what a graphologist does. And I had my own little analysis session at the end. Um, Aditi is qualified in all sorts of psychological fields slash trainings, which allows her to do this thing in combination with other therapies for her clients. Um, before you tune in this podcast, I would recommend checking out her website, aditisurana.com. That's A-D-I-T-I-S-U-R-A-N-A.com. It's in the description as well, wherever you listen to this podcast. But she is offering a 15-minute free consultation where you can send her your handwriting sample and then she'll tell you all about your personality, how you portray yourself to the world, all of those fantastic things. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, at this point, I'm not going to ask. Just fucking do it. Actually, I did, right? Didn't I? Anyway, back to the episode. What is up, Aditi Surana? Welcome to another episode of the Vinamra Kasana Show. Super excited that you're here. Thank you so much, Vinamra. I must tell you, I really like your name. It's so interesting to to have a Sanskrit name. I hope you take pride in it. I remember I, having that as my first conversation with you. Yeah, all I have is uh, weird parts, uh, embarrassment around it. Not really. I don't know because, uh, okay, if when, if you like Vinamra, here's the other two contenders for the list. Okay. <laughs> Sikandar and Yudhishthir. Whoa! Well, I, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I, I wish I was uh, named Sikandar. It would be such a great story. You know, like I would always have a story to look back to the myth of Alexander, uh, that sort of thing. But instead, I all know. I have is like, yeah, I mean, all I have is, uh, what's your name mean? Oh, I'm polite. <laughs> so that, oh. that that's pretty much it. That also demands that you're polite all the time. So be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that, you know. Um since you are a graphologist, a person who analyzes uh uh people's personality based on their handwriting, um, could you talk a bunch more about that? So handwriting analysis is about uh understanding and analyzing different parts based on the choices you make. So for example, you remember in the school when you learned from your teacher, there were 30 students learning and every single child developed his or her handwriting unique. The fundamental principle was to look at your handwriting, uh, on the, uh, look at your teacher's handwriting and merely copy it. But in that copying mechanism, you just shifted and you developed your own font. Now that variation, that happened in everybody is the source of handwriting analysis. So all of us should have had similar uh, print style of writing or similar cursive style of writing, but that didn't happen. So this is where the, the origin of variation began. Now, as you look at your hand, own handwriting sample, you'll know it keeps changing. It was different when you were in school, in college years, now it is different. And as you will grow, it will become different if you continue to write. The idea uh, of that variation happens because as a person you're changing and mostly the drastic shift happens when you move from school to college, college to you know post-graduation. When you make, go through life changes, your handwriting also changes. So that is the idea behind the whole process of psychoanalysis based on handwriting. 
Yeah, I, I didn't expect uh, that the handwriting is is so um, intensely affected by the changes in your personality. But I do remember an instance from my own life where when I entered fourth grade, I was in a different school before, where we all practiced cursive writing. Um, so we would rigorously do cursive writing. And I changed schools. And in fourth grade, I noticed that everyone was not writing in cursive. Um, and as a result, I almost not almost, I definitely broke the pattern of, of cursive writing and began writing in in the style that I sent you, which has you know, obviously gone through many changes because many years yeah. have passed. But it, it almost felt like I was deliberately trying to make sense of the world around me by fitting into what everyone else was doing because I was the only one writing in cursive. You know, like those, if you write a P and I, I would just... Uh, elongate and curve the end of the P, which no one does, because that's something that you see in like old scripts where they write like those fancy letters in, in you know, like old Roman, that sort of thing. So I didn't realize that that was because I was going through a change in my life. And that's so interesting. Do you... No, actually, this wasn't. Yeah. This wasn't. What you're referring to is you copied a script and you went away from a script uh, consciously. You know, yeah. here you copied how other people were writing which rarely happens. I'm talking about you don't make any attempt of changing your handwriting and it still changes. I'm referring to that part. I see. And I'm going to give you a moment. There is some noise yeah. here. I'm just going to just get. So, yeah, I was saying, um, yeah, uh, that's surprising that that um, this was a conscious change and that, that that's rare. Um, in terms of psychoanalysis, do you approach uh, graphology from just like when you're trying to analyze someone, it, do you find that graphology itself is limiting or do you have other tools that you use along with them? Uh, good, really nice question, I must say, because graphology is limiting. Uh, when you analyze somebody, uh, people do not write often. Now we are in a zone where we only sign and uh, now with all the apps, we don't even sign. do that. Yeah. We type and, you know, that is not the same mechanism of writing. So is it limiting? Yes, it is highly limiting when it comes to now your practice of writing. However, even if you haven't written for 10 years, 15 years, which most of my clients, they meet me at 35, 45. So they're like, I don't even remember when did I write properly last. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Luckily, it doesn't matter because you have practiced that skill for 10 to 12 years. Your body knows how to write. So you struggle for two lines and then it takes over. So the handwriting sample is a good idea. But let me talk about the mechanism. Sure. When you look at uh, graphology as a mechanism, it gives you insight, but it is not always a complete insight. So I always say that graphology, because it is so close to who you are, uh, it allows me to probe you further, go deeper into your uh, other issues that you're not aware of. So yeah. in, a, in a counseling session, you will come and you'll talk about your problem and I will hear you as a counselor. My assessment of your journey is based on your perception of your journey. Interesting. And I would not have many points to probe if I don't have an objective tool. So graphology becomes my objective tool, which is not colored by your ideas. So if you say that, for example, I'm a short-tempered person and I get very angry. I look at your writing and I say, no, you're not short-tempered person. You're just irritated for some time. Now, I would not agree with your short-tempered behavior because I can see irritation and no short temper. So that's how it gives me a true perception of who you are 
sometimes beyond your ideas secondly i'm also trained uh, in rebt which is rational emotive behavioral therapy i am trained as a high performance coach uh, there there are modules and models people use to approach personality to enhance behavior different right. psychometric tools where uh, different psychology models which are based on carl jung's models so like oh, in my profession sorry you are i am a big fan of him i love his work yeah so what is it exactly that you use uh, that is made by carl jung because i i as far as i know i mean his most popular theories sorry concepts have to do with archetypes and um uh, the separation he made between anima animus ego persona all of those things how does that apply to something that's very 21st century so uh, he also created dichotomies he created yeah. dichotomies and he said you are either introvert or extrovert he was the first person to coin the term introvert and extrovert back in the day which eventually became introvert and extrovert now and then he spoke about sensing and he spoke about how you perceive information so yeah. uh, th- that dichotomy is used in mbti which is myer briggs type indicator i see yeah but so it is accurate right uh, the myer there's been several uh, debunkings of myer briggs saying that it's it is an as accurate as say the big five trait scale or something like that i agree i agree and because uh, the uh, test is not that solid and it cannot predict exactly who you are i use handwriting to support it but the model underneath that see there are two parts to it right there's a model on which the the questionnaire is based the questionnaire is not that solid but the model is very solid so all of us are you know we do fall into either introvert or extrovert or ambivert and if we yeah. know that we can use our personalities better i always look at personality as a toolbox i feel it is a suggestive idea it is not a fixed idea which most people think if your personality is a fixed idea then you have to you know constantly believe that i cannot change and this is who i am yeah. that's not true your personality is ever changing so if you know that and if you have tools to look at yourself in the current scenario you can enhance the utilization of this whatever mechanism that you have become it's like using an app to its highest potential yeah i mean i think it's very funny when people become very rigid in in who they are and what they believe and the same patterns of behavior keep repeating for years on end and 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 but also look at our society right we are recognized for our opinions if you have an opinion and if you own it uh, we are celebrated for that now being opinionated it's fixation like if i constantly believe this is true and everything but that is not true i'm celebrated yeah. uh, i have more social media followers media wants to hear me all of that happens so in one part of society where all your you know uh, glorification comes from being a solid sturdy person and then you have this other part where that exact trait goes against you and it doesn't yeah. allow you to be ever changing ever moving uh, flexible adaptive humble it doesn't allow you to do that so we are stuck because of that yeah there's so much uh, there are so many narratives uh, ranging everywhere from the degree you do to the social media cloud that you decide to approach uh, everyone is asking you to niche down to have an absolute opinion to have to be on an absolute end of one spectrum um, whereas most people are paradoxes like you pointed out most people are not okay with portraying indecision because it doesn't look as neat and 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 so 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 they become products of 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 polarization 
and as a result like That's you said true. i i i believe a lot in being vulnerable so if you have ever heard me speak i would speak about personal failures i'd speak about stories yeah. where things didn't go well because i feel we require uh, authorities or even even if i if i'm contributing on my podcast in any way like i i have podcast with ibm called absolutely right in which yes. when we speak to people i bring in the like i speak about good things but i speak about bad things and things that didn't work because we require a mechanism in which we embrace failure it's very very important that whole idea of hiding under some garb or a mask is is what will get to us and now especially uh, we are recording this in the lockdown period so you'll agree with me even more that the fact that we are stuck in our homes and there are no masks to wear we are yeah. confronting ourselves very very deeply and most of most people don't like that part of their life they're like oh my god i don't have any any social media content because if i am not without my mask without my my restaurants without my hobbies who am i exactly and they don't know who they are yeah that that's so true i mean just the fact that even if you're sitting at home you can still choose to deny uh what what your life is inevitably welling up to the surface and and you know uh, busy yourself in consuming and watching a bunch just to dulling down whatever is coming to you and it's often hard to approach yourself in solitude i think we also as as a species have not really had the same relationship with solitude that our predecessors had and were terribly bad at that because it's it's very unflattering to see who you are naked with warts and all you know so part of my study and my personal interest lies in eastern philosophies interesting so, uh, i japanese uh, to some part and indian to a large part so more i study uh, indian philosophy and you know uh, we understand and that's why sanskrit is my favorite language and that's why vinamra was so important and i really felt good about it so uh, we are based as as an indian philosophy we are based and philosophy is not a correct word the overall you know thinking process and way of living life uh, through indian mechanism uh, yeah. has been about being with yourself independent of any label so if you go slightly spiritual if you go slightly inwards it is all about shedding your labels it is going beyond what you thought was your fixated idea mm. so when we do that we literally and that's why uh, personalities and identification with anything becomes more and more difficult as you go and keep holding to that idea yeah isn't it something like um where carl jung had this idea of the individuation process which he considered to be the most valuable process in your life even though this is a western parallel completely but he said that your whole idea in life is to arrive at the individual you naturally are but it's you're trapped beneath layers it's not about grappling to rise up but more like sinking down to who you actually are yeah and let me tell you two things about him one he was an introvert so he spent a lot of time being alone and introspecting which was literally like meditating and disconnecting from all your labels and second part is he was inspired by eastern philosophies also so he has studied indian scriptures he had studied chinese and japanese works and uh, i think in the uh, late 50s or 60s of his life he did some contributive work on uh, 
Indian, uh, not Indian, but Eastern philosophies, for which he was highly criticized by the Western world. Why? Because he was domaining outside of his uh, niche as a psychologist? Yeah. Also, he was not being uh, the cool, rational thinker, according to them, right. which Cold, they took calculating, right. decisive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you think about this? I mean, since you, you do this for a living, you're a graphologist and also high performance coach. Um, they, these are these are things, these are roles that you perform in your own life. Um, do, do you at any point feel a dissonance where you don't feel like being a coach and you don't feel like um, being this expert that everyone has, you know, put you to be? And this, these are the steps you've naturally taken toward um, in your life. If you have those, that dissonance, what do you do? So I, uh, one, live alone. So yeah. I have a lot of time by myself. And I think yeah. that is my way of surviving. Uh, because now I am with my mom and, uh, you know, like when, especially for the lockdown, she's over. And but, so when I'm with other people, the the constant need to, to communicate or deal with it, you know, you are a coach. Once you're a coach, you're always a coach. Unfortunately, yeah. I hate that part at times. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But, uh, but there is always a method in which you can disconnect. So I do activities where, I do not, so I, I uh, take a lot of courses that I learn from other people. It could be cooking, it could be gardening. And I'm like this one person who would, like I'm a perpetual student. So when I get into a student role, I cannot be a coach. Also, I, I go and take silence retreats. So you, I, I observe silence twice a month on a regular basis. And uh, if not, I take 10 days off. Uh, from work and I just observe silence uh, outside when you say silence you mean something like vipassana meditation uh, not vipassana I haven't done vipassana but I, I go to other ashrams and uh, in Rishikesh and, and Koyambatur so I, I go to other ashrams and I spend time by myself so you know the whole idea of living by yourself is very very important and especially when you are rendering a platform for other people to think and become yeah. their sounding board you need to find your your grounding because you can't uh, can't differentiate between their thinking and yours all the time. Right. You are uh, constantly, you know, uh, becoming neutral and constantly. Thus, I feel is a coach's job very very important one and difficult at times is to be neutral to any opinion that you may have and reflect it towards you and reflect it back to you in a way that you can look at it and then you yeah. realize, oh, this is correct and this is incorrect. But while uh, doing that, I can't have my own opinion supporting it uh, unless until you are not ready. The very moment you are ready, then I have to be directive and change my approach. So that is always playing. It's almost like dancing with a partner all the time. There is yeah. no structure to the process. You're, if I have a preconceived idea uh, on anything, any project, any uh, client, then that project doesn't work well. But when I'm willing to play and go anywhere that you wish to go, those are most amazing uh, coaching sessions or programs I have gone through. When you see results that both of us had no clue about. So that yeah. is the, the great work, right? So that happens only when you can be neutral. And to be neutral, you have to have no opinion. And you, if you think, if you talk, if you're constantly giving instructions, you do have opinions. So for me, silence is my, my rescue. Wow. And meditation for sure I think a 
daily practice of yoga and meditation and i'm sounding like a super indian spiritual person but but i must tell you there are really effective ways so i i do transcendental meditation last yeah. nine and a half years of uh, practice of pm and most uh, highly effective people have followed around the world tm as their productivity tool not their spirituality tool but a productivity tool so it is it is a brain hack yeah i mean i can swear by the habit of meditation as being life changing especially for a racing mind but then also to center and ground yourself um it's a cliche because every, uh, for some reason the self help improvement industry is is slowly catching up to almost every other industry so it does feel like everyone's trying to spout this but it's absolutely true um and also transcendental meditation is fascinating i know ray dalio the, the guy who wrote principles the book he does it okay. he talks about it that's when i first heard about it and what you said about having to sort of sort yourself out so you can be neutral in your sessions and then allow you and the client to arrive at this state of um, wonder or arrive at a solution that you did not expect um reminds me very closely about this idea that the healer must heal first in order to heal properly uh there are several motifs around you know the, the damaged healer where the healer is trying to heal everyone but then the, the massive repression of their own uh, you know lack of healing just goes so much that one day they they burst out so i think it's very important to to have that sorry sorry to interrupt you but i also feel that happens to healers who believe they can heal i hmm. fundamentally don't believe in that i don't think i have any capacity to heal anybody I feel when I uh, and every person I speak with is part of one story. If I'm part of your narrative, you're part of mine. So the very moment I take the superior role of healing you, uh, I'm doomed. But if I if I look at this the conversation and see how can I serve, how can I truly bring the best for both of us, and where can I take this journey, uh, I am not trying to tell you anything. I'm not trying to provide a solution. i'm trying to render a platform and that is very very different than providing a solution because when i am willing to render a platform i'm willing to go any length to explore uh, boundaries that i haven't uh, experienced myself being a healer i'm supposed to give you a solution and then i have to fix you that i feel is very uh, i'm sorry but i find that slightly unkind because mm-hmm. i feel that i am here and you're there that doesn't work I think wow the, the <laughs> yeah no i mean i think i think you're spot on when saying that uh, because i i i have a very strong aversion to giving advice because i feel like who am i to there's something that hunter s thompson wrote in his letter to say that it's a very dangerous uptaking to give a man advice and point to the direction and say you should do that who are you that's that's a wonderful question and that is that has been my quest actually when i began handwriting i was uh, 18 and a half as a professional and yeah. people uh, liked what i said and i was accurate so when i was 14 i chanced upon some uh, like a very small thing i went my dad sent me to a personality development course and the yeah, teacher asked how many zeros can you draw in a minute uh, yeah. to all of us and we drew zeros right. and we were excited we set a number and we said 100 and some people could only reach 80 so people said 150 and they did more So the teacher said, "Okay, let's look at it. This is how you gauge yourself. You either underestimate, overestimate, and that—that's what it is. The test was simple. You know, it was like simple tool. 
I looked at those zeros and something happened. Like I, my mind started telling me patterns and showing me things. And it was almost like, you know, how animation happens in movies. Where you can yeah. see things which are otherwise not available to naked eyes. That's what yeah. happened. So I looked at those samples and I started telling my friends, oh, you organize your cupboard like this or you behave like this. And all of us were surprised what was happening. This was intuitive? Yeah, it was intuitive. So I got slightly more comfortable. I went home. I made everybody my guinea pigs and made everybody do that. It was even more accurate there because I also knew these people. So I was more comfortable and slightly confident. Then I went out and did with strangers, that same technique. It worked. So in no time, I realized there's some, some correlation. I chanced upon graphology, I think one and a half, two years after that. But in the process, I kept observing the stroke uh, stroke formation unknowingly because of that experience that I have had. And then graphology happened. I started working as a professional at 18. Uh, my father didn't agree with my career choice. So unlike Indian fathers, he asked me to leave the house. He said, wow. uh, So I also was so passionate. I left the house. So I became a professional to support my education. I had to do all, you know, everything on my own. So so people asked me questions because I was too young to answer their questions. I wondered, what can I say? Yeah. I had accuracy in assessment, but I had no accuracy in life experience. So I had no clue what I could tell them about them, like how to fix the problem. So I looked at graphology as a solution. So I said, if I uh, turn a stroke in a certain manner, will that shift their behavior? That was my inquiry. And I tried and I tested and I experimented and it worked. It worked and uh, graphotherapy, which is a major part of my work right now, got invented uh, because I was lacking the ability to answer the exact question that you said. Who am I to answer? Because I had no life experience or resources to count on. I also did other certifications that I was talking about, like getting trained in counseling, REBT, uh, psychometric tools and other international uh, courses in different modes of or modalities of approaching human mind because it's an ever-growing quest to figure out what can I tell that would be the most apt possibility for the person, not the solution, but a possibility. What can we do here that you and I were not aware before this? Yeah, yeah. It's it's more about how you can help them solve their own problems by showing them possibilities and, and potential probabilities instead of saying, I only teach one method, impose this method upon you like a screwdriver trying to fit a screw in a peg that does not fit. Um, I really like that. Also, it's romantic because when you do not know, you're constantly exploring. So every new person, so this happens to me, every time I look at a handwriting, even talk about it, I start blushing. And I don't know why this happens, but this is this is like, I feel it's so cute, but it's just like it happens. Like I genuinely start blushing because for me, it is that that curiosity and that journey where I do not know. So imagine every day you fall in love with something that you do. And I touch wood. I hope it, it continues to happen. But uh, yeah, that's what happens. So when you are non-conclusive, life is really different. I, I can sense the the elevated vibrations right now through the screen, and I can definitely understand. I, I can I can see how it's transferring to me as well, because I think you've 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 been 
absolutely hardworking enough to figure out what is it that you like enough that it makes you smile and explore and and say, oh, I was this yesterday, I'm this today. It's it's this constant yeah. journey of uh, unlearning who you are and then relearning something new about yourself. And I remember a phase in my life where I became like uh, uh, the so-called very sure person and I knew yeah. what to change in your like you know how when you get early success you think you you got it and you're like super cool and you can give yeah. solutions to people and they come to my office and they want they ask me questions all this like really massages your ego and I was so unhappy when Amra I can't tell you I was like horribly unhappy in that phase when technically uh, I should have been happier Everything that I dreamt of uh, as a, as an you know I think nineteen year old, which I thought I would do by twenty five by thirty five, was already happening when I was twenty five. Yeah, and I was unhappy, so I went through. Uh, I took a sabbatical where I spent a lot of time studying and breaking my ideas of me down completely, including I must say this I I rarely speak about this, but including changing my name. So my given name by my dad was Chandra Prabha. But you think your parents... Fascinating name. <laughs> Imagine. But I, I liked the name. But, but it was... Uh, and that was my brand. So I built my earlier work in graphology on that brand, Chandra Prabha. And I built it. And by 26, when I was in that phase that I found so stuck up about it, I uh, took a break and I renounced every single identification that I held as mine. And then I realized my idea of me, which was my name, was the biggest identification. It was the toughest journey to disassociate with your own identity that you put in so much of effort. Like I left my house, I, you know, I thought it became even darker. Like when you want to prove something, you like hold on to your idea a lot. So I chose to let that go. And and I chose Aditi, which means unbounded. So the word Aditi is unbounded. So I chose my name when at, at a point where people choose a ch- kid's name. When I was 26, instead of choosing a name for, for my child, which I don't have, but I chose a name for myself and it was a rebirth. So that Wow, was. so if I had met Chandra Baba today, it would be a different conversation altogether. I don't know. I think you wouldn't have met her only. Like, <laughs> she wouldn't have survived through all of this. <laughs> she would have been this frustrated. Would have like probably. I don't know what she would have done. Hey, this is but all I think, so inspiring. Yeah, I I just I I I usually I don't get speechless on my podcast. I usually have some clever quip to to move the conversation forward. But wow, you so you just decided to abandon everything that was essentially a pillar on what your identity was built on and start afresh. Um, in terms of that, didn't people from your life come and say, reinforce who you are again and again? Wasn't that like, didn't they say, uh, but you are this and you've always been like this, you know? And, and parents do that, especially friends do that. Um, they hold you to certain psychological timestamps that they last knew you of. And then you change, you can do a two-year period where you're away from everyone and then you change. But then they still remember you from two years ago and they're like, oh, you're this. And then most people just settle into what people you know, put them in, the boxes they put them in. And this is where you're correct. And that's a great observation. Uh, but this is this is the exact point where I decided to uh, break free every now and then. So when I, huh. I've created routines, I've created mechanisms, uh, or, or, you know, almost like pointers where I know I'm falling back. 
uh, all of us do because it's comforting it's comforting back and and sulk and comforting to say that oh my god this is not working please fix me uh, but i realized that the the journey that i really wish to take and in this this association so when you build a brand and if the brand is you and you will know this in some time as you will become more and more recognized for your brand you cannot uh, disassociate from the brand all the time you start believing that the failure and success that the brand has is yours and if you're successful you believe all the success that is happening that is yours so that association uh, is very natural but very harmful uh, to keep your yourself grounded and focused so uh, many artists go through that many many high performers go through that so being able to make a decision that is independent of all the issues can only and only happen when you know that uh, whether it becomes correct or incorrect your job is to do the best in the moment your job is not take or to take the ownership for the entire piece but generally we believe that we believe that if it goes correct it's going to be my identification my stamp so when you don't do that uh, people around you start realizing it also it takes training to help other people cope up with the new new person that you have become so uh, i think apologizing helps many a times because they are so used to that older part and and, and my favorite line is i'm sorry i agree that you expect this from me uh, yeah but as a person i have changed and i don't think that is working anymore so it requires a lot of negotiation but i i feel if you give them a better deal than the previous deal that you have made as a person and if they are on the winning end people like it so you have to do to go back and and redo your agreements with people which all yeah. of us have all of us have agreements with all relationships that we are into uh, non verbal uh, and verbal at times but we do have those agreements yeah i i like how dynamic the relationships in my own life are to will constantly go through these phases of renegotiating our boundaries and it usually comes uh, it could be something as simple as someone giving more truth than what is typically expected of them which then turns over a new leaf and sometimes open up opens up new wounds and there's this period of short term discomfort followed by a better understanding of who you are like i remember uh, my parents uh, i'm saying this on the podcast for the first time my parents um were against you know my sister dating even though they're pretty liberal uh, and and i told them flat out i was like you're just afraid we're going to have lots of sex and i was surprised by what i said and it's like because we reached that level where i could be that honest with them there was this temporary discomfort thing that you know you've spoiled yourself blah 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 it was followed by more understanding of who we are as people i think i think we should all strive to say more uncomfortable things in our relationships and just be able to uh, manage the short term yeah you were saying something so brene brown i just wanted to add to your point uh, brene brown who is this uh, world thought leader global thought leader on vulnerability speaks mm. about this point a lot she says i chose at some point to choose discomfort in the moment than feeling sorry for a long time when when you choose discomfort in every conversation every relationship and it is uh it requires bravery it requires courage to do that we think courage is going out there and fighting big battles not always sometimes courage is about literally saying this to your parents and telling them that okay this is what i i want to do and even if you don't agree right now 
So my father, who didn't agree with my career choice because he was highly concerned about how will I survive, what exactly will I do, uh, eventually saw my point and you know came ar- came around. It took six years and it took a lot of struggle because I didn't have home to go back to and all of that initially. But he came around. So you know, but if you give away your uh, authentic truth. nobody can come around because nobody will know what the truth is including yourself because if you don't experiment you don't go through that journey there is no way you will ever experience something that is so magical and yeah wow oh <laughs> oh <laughs> that's i mean it's 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 so like i know uh, for a fact that there's this a uh, guy called gary v you've probably seen him on social media a bunch of times he he said something very wonderful about if you are from an eastern european family and everyone stoic stolid you know not stoic just stoic um and and there's not an i love you culture you be the one to start it's going to feel weird when you just it's like saying i love you to a wall because you know your parents are not good at expressing emotions or that sort But it's like eventually it's gonna become your reality. It's like break the chain, break the chain of generational trauma, or break the chain of dysfunctionality by by taking the uncomfortable step. Um, yeah, I I can't agree with you more. So uh, in the lockdown, when we when I started this whole process coming, I realized the amount of anxiety, and I'm getting goosebumps even while speaking about it. Uh, uh, the amount of Anxiety. People are holding, not even like holding. They're holding. They said one day I will get rid of it. Let me hold on to it because it is familiar. I don't know anything else. Let me hold on to this this discomfort uh, yeah. of fear of I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'll deal with it and what will happen to me. Because when you identify so much, just to build on our conversation. with your job with your relationship with the money that you have with everything when your identity is built on everything outside of you you have nothing to hold on to and then you are highly anxious the anxiety builds up to a point that you anything moving anything being taken away feels you losing yourself the very moment you is not ident you as a person you as a being is not only in these things then we don't have that same struggle then even a part of it disappears goes away then you can look at it and you say okay i require to build it again because i care for it but yeah. it is not from a damaged space so as a generation we need to change that so i am asking people uh, right now to journal and yeah. uh, journaling has three parts and you might have seen those instagram uh, lives that we are doing this a conversation like this where i dive deep and you now like you know diving deep is truly diving deep to see exact points on certain issues and not hiding it from yourself then using graphotherapy which is a stroke specifically designed for uh, you to feel calmer mm-hmm. and more uh, patient with yourself because we are constantly moving from one point to another we have the switching mind and yeah. for your mind to feel calmer it requires completion So if you are speaking with somebody, you feel only you feel happy or heard only when you complete your point. If you are speaking something and if you do not feel I conveyed everything I had to, you don't feel satisfied about that conversation. So uh, I'm using handwriting as a way of reversing 
that quick shift with the help of a stroke called flow of thoughts and we're building on that and then the third part is i ask a question that you're supposed to hand write your journal with so when you hand write and it's very important but not when you digitally type hand written yeah. journaling helps you uh, edit your thoughts already before writing instead of editing it after you write it uh, you uh, review every emotions when you every emotion when you state it so all these parts happen when you use hand written journaling so i'm doing this workshop and it's a free attempt it's the first time when i'm doing it in public uh, as, mm-hmm. a, as a group activity because i'm so used to one on one and going intense uh, based on that person's uh, expectations and requirements and doing the dance is this group uh, dancing i am just uh, first time i i experimented with but i also felt uh, we needed to do that one you know you cannot like i feel i have these resources that people can use and if not now then when like if people need it right now and if i don't rise up to the occasion what's the point of calling yourself someone who can serve and who can help it's all bullshit if you don't do that yeah i love that in fact i was going to say so when you said something uh, and by the way the listeners you can check out all her work on aditi surana at instagram uh, where she has all assortments of exercises i think you're also doing a 21 day 15 minute consultation something like that right where so we offered actually 104 slots uh, over yeah. 21 days in that program but in first six days all of them are booked so now we are uh, on a waiting list everybody like whomever even if you're listening much after that and if you're interested i realize the need where i need to open these slots because the kind of floodgates i opened in just short 15 minutes conversations were amazing and people uh, got insights into their whole conflict because i could use handwriting as a tool to look at and as i said your perception might not be the reality and when i said no but i don't agree with your perception of your problem but why don't you look at it from this angle it just like broke that huge construction that they carefully made about all the facade that they were holding on to and it was beautiful to watch it was just a treat uh so that's what and the tools so you not only do that you break the facade and then you have journaling and graphotherapy as a tool to walk people with yeah. so i'm going to keep these uh, recordings and videos online available also because i want people whomever is interested must have ways to to shift and i feel that's the power we have today i feel we have the power to reach out to anybody and like any other time so yeah absolutely i mean that that's why we're doing this podcast all it takes is a message yeah. right and uh, you just have to have the right intentions talking about breaking facades let's uh, let's break my facade let's see how how bad uh-huh. is it i was Am waiting I for you to get to that point i don't know that's not my attempt but that that might be your choice okay <laughs> so uh, as as aditi is uh, scrolling through my handwriting sample let me give you guys some context i sent her a writing sample which she will now dissect uh, on this podcast and tell me if i am who i think i am or if i am just a bunch of walking lies i don't know kind of nervous kind of excited <laughs> so the number of first thing that comes to my mind when i look at your handwriting is uh, your ability to intuitively look at scenarios so there are things in life where you use logic to convince people also you can uh, rely on other people's knowledge and your research that matters to you a lot and you can't 
give build your opinion based on that which is a good thing and you identify a lot with that you believe if i have a problem i can always go and find a solution i'll find the best possible hack i'll connect to people and i'll get this done but what you discount most of the time is the intuitive insight that you already have for which you do not require research so if you if you tap into that intuition you might be able to build your research even at a in a more effective way at a deeper level you can dive deep uh, and allow that intuition to guide you and that is a skill that you'll have to develop right now it is available but you're not developing it so that's the skill that you require to develop yeah um all my horoscopes say that and i also believe that um whenever i meditate i will find that i have the answers but there is some part of me that always i guess identifies with being the researcher the one that reaches out um and, and collects from the outside world to make sense of what is happening wow aditi you're spot on with that <laughs> uh when you uh look at your life it is always a long term plan at least 7 to 10 years down the line you don't do short term things and that's why it's difficult for you uh to work and deal with people of similar age group you struggle to have friends and a deeper conversations with them so i feel your podcast is also your way to not remain stuck in in the conversation with the similar topics and same things and okay, let me go and talk to people who do not belong to my world and i can actually learn from them and i can i can identify uh, what else can i find about myself through these conversations so to all his listeners let me tell you we are all his guinea pigs only so that he grows and moves forward so yeah we caught you there hey everyone discount the description i've written for the podcast <laughs> the actual truth just just quote it <laughs> wow <laughs> Uh, so let me tell you something that you must work upon okay okay so you you start with many ideas that you want to implement you uh, get very very excited about it and there is there are two parts to every project right one is yeah. the conceptualizing strategizing intellectual part uh, your favorite part of the story you love it you are like there you do 100 and 100% and more i was about to say 200% but if i say that i don't understand percentage concept at all so then you literally and then when it comes to execution you put the same energy out there in first 10% and then 20% and 30% and you reach a point where you're like oh i i wish to do more but now i think anyone else can do it so it's okay let me just delegate or forget about it so that inconsistency is something you must definitely look at and learn from yeah. other people so have execution uh, models uh, role models other people who are very good at it so i i feel when you have better understanding of the world than most people around you it also comes with some misunderstanding you believe if you understood it you got it there is yeah. beauty there is power there is a uh, commitment one different kind of commitment one requires to execute things and execute things every single day very very important so we believe that if i have an idea it's good and i can do it no that is only there is a possibility for you to do it 
you can do it only when you have patience and uh, wherewithal and resilience to do it on a daily basis or a regular basis and to take that action uh, and you guys uh, in the, in the lockdown phase also you might have realized to clean your house every day to cook every day you know we take all these things for granted and we believe oh yeah i have food and i don't like this and all of that we do but to do that every day and all the people who do it on a regular basis without failing uh, we must understand it takes efforts and for any execution so for you it's a big red flag that uh, all ideas might not come true but you have to give some experimental time period for it yeah i think i'm definitely a chaser of novelty and and new ideas primarily it it it's more about if i've done 30% 40% of it it just means that i can do the rest of it so my mind just resolves if i can do the rest of it i don't need to do it someone else can do it uh, the exclusivity of that idea that approach is gone so let me try to do something completely different now um what, what that leads me with is when people ask me how do you start a new project i'm like that's the easiest part you can start any project <laughs> i can i can start 100 projects complete yeah how do you complete the project that you have taken exactly wow yep yep <laughs> and the second red flag yeah is uh, emotionally you are more sensitive than most people are uh, when you or when you aditi 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 i'm i think i'm losing you on the audio it's maybe because you've turned the mic or something the audio just went like bad hello hello can you hear me yeah yes yes yeah better let yeah. me repeat that point yeah so when you get emotionally hurt or disturbed uh, it is very difficult for you to get out of that hurt it keeps playing on your mind unendingly and it is uh, it is interesting for you to believe that you can linger on an emotion for so long it is a constant process of lingering on it it's not one day it's not a short term so until unless you haven't resolved it now that also drives your so all the logic all the research all the intuition goes out of the window and the emotion takes over when you are upset and hurt and then yeah. you make decisions which are i wouldn't say counterproductive but uh, driven by emotions without any any thought process underneath that so yeah. you require to look at those areas for sure and uh, emotions are such they are volatile so one requires to find your own language to deal with it we all all go through a you know and it is everyday process you can't be emotionally stable full stop you are if you are willing to really do some work in the world good or bad whatever the very moment you interact with people you bring they bring in emotions and you start feeling it and you start responding to what is happening to truly figure out what you wish to do and how to deal with your emotion you have to create a language which is your language to understand your emotion very very important wow uh <laughs> <laughs> speechless again on my show when people go through this and because it is called absolutely right i ask them to hold this uh, the board which says absolutely right so yeah, yeah. I, you know in, in my mind I, i was saying i will at least raise one disagreement that i will think through uh, but you know <laughs> i I, <laughs> i feel like what you said about uh, this 
emotional sensitivity that allows me to have certain thoughts and and feelings of hurt or otherwise permeate my mind longer than most people is absolutely true i feel like in the morning once i have the right amount of momentum for positive activities and habits i can be you know you know the story of dr jekyll and mr hyde something like that 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 story where it's no. so this guy or like uh the hulk you know like in the day he's like this nice scientist guy right and at night like his evil or shadow part turns on that that does stuff that makes no sense and in the morning it's like um i'm going to try and do these good things again but in the night it's like everything just goes to um out of the window because um obviously the the emotions take over wow but um, i must i must use another example of x men you remember in the training period where they have all these capacity and they have all their emotions no not emotion all their uh, energy is going haywire and then they yeah. train themselves and uh, dr charles trains i think everybody yeah almost everybody and he makes sure that they learn how to intensify the capacity without damaging now that is your work to do so instead yeah. of comparing yourself with hulk who has this uncontrollable need to behave like that i feel uh hulk may think like that or probably other x men can think like that but you really have to figure out your channelizing and that's yeah. the training yeah and i think that applies to um many young people as well the maturation process requires a level of being able to uh, go from scattered energies to focused energies because we're brimming with so much energy and i count you in that by the way um like in in the age group <laughs> um <laughs> okay <laughs> that that's very very important for us to to focus on honing in on what we do best without letting you know like like the idea of like you're doing something very dangerous and also rewarding but then a fly comes onto your skin and you just lose it completely right i i think that can only happen when we are when again uh, let's find something that we are passionate about but the very moment you start identifying with it you become superior all of uh, us have to keep this in mind the very moment you become superior and that project is more important than the fly that's a test you know i remember this gautam buddha story that somebody came and this person was very upset because his child had joined uh, gautam buddha's program and you know he was he renounced everything and the father was very very upset and he came and he spat on buddha's face now buddha was standing there and ananda who was his disciple got really wild and he just started he said how could you take it this is not acceptable how could he say this how could he do that and buddha said uh, thank you uh, to that person thank you for giving me and my friend ananda the opportunity to see how far we are on our journey so the fact that spitting uh, of that person as an act triggered ananda told ananda and buddha what ananda requires to do to be on that journey so fly or no fly you remember that line from kampu panda that he says uh, peach or no peach noodles or no noodles when uh, he's he's really upset and he's like what should i do uh, under the peach tree and he's thinking whether i should go back to my father's business uh, and do uh, the noodle restaurant or should i just yeah. stick to being a, a warrior so he says once you are clear with that journey it doesn't matter whether you do noodles no noodles it doesn't matter but identification is the problem like constantly feeling i am this i am that i must do it. so all of that that you are doing i think also the younger generation and i'm saying younger which is like the 
the new working generation like post college you know the yeah. new uh, uh, people between 25 to 30 when they start exploring themselves they believe that they require to quickly find themselves out there which is yeah. a great thing but let's not discount the learning curve every single thing so i still believe in 10000 hours you may hack it and make it 7000 hours and mm. make hack it and make you <laughs> make it 5000 hours but you have to give number of hours before you say that i have claimed it owned it then only you can know the nuances and yeah. uh, very important i will say this i mean this is a conversation for another podcast but the 10000 rule has been completely at least partially debunked by this other guy called david epstein he has a book called range which talks about yes you you may be able to um have the 10000 hours but it doesn't have to be in one field it could be some very complex unrelated fields but the idea is to put in the work irrespective of whether it's like one specific field or a bunch of fields but um yeah um I, I, is that the end of the handwriting analysis if you have more questions i can continue um do you talked about anxiety and you talk, and i know for this for a fact that there's this idea about um how some people fuck there's some pop psychology idea that some people some people say that if you have bad handwriting it's because your thoughts are faster than your hand something along those lines and you as a professional graphologist is that true or not i don't think so i think uh, like doctors have told me this that we write very fast and the handwriting becomes illegible which is like almost like lines and some dots and uh, dashes here and there now yeah. that is the it has two parts if your handwriting is faster than your mind that means your mind is racing and you are trying to save so much uh, it's not yeah. about handwriting your the racing mind is also not seeing so much on multiple topics it is rephrasing one thing multiple times if you look at it the the calmer mind the more effective mind would say one sentence and would convey exactly what you want to say without having to rephrase it and and repeat it and you know like so busy is not productive always productive and busy could be the case but so so many times believe that uh, people believe that they they are busy they are filled with activities their day is productive so that's what happens with handwriting which are illegible aware the quality of the writing or the thought or the life is is being compromised under the under the excuse of speed you must you must look at it holy shit <laughs> the excuse of speed that compromises you know your own calmness quality. because you want to get it out there quality. fast yeah and quality yes. yeah i mean fuck i i've always been of the school of thought of speed uh and 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 fast 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 but i do realize the counter perspective now that it leaves out um the essence of who you are you you're trying to be fast but then you sacrifice on quality and you become shoddy and sloppy and yeah so if i'm sanskrit there's a word called prayatna shaithilya which uh, is loosely translated in english called as effortlessness but yes. it is not in sense in sanskrit it is not effortlessness it means prayatna which is effort and shaithilya which means shithil which is non existent so you uh, pick up an activity and you master it to a point where now you don't have to put in any effort so it mm. has become so so established in you that you don't have to put in extra effort for this to be the perfect expression of you 
Now that is what you want to achieve. It is not speed or quality. You want to become a master in that activity in such a way that you pick up speed and you also pick up uh, the quality and you do it together. Now that, according to me, requires practice. Aditi, I'm going to have you on for a three-hour podcast once this quarantine ends. <laughs> that will do that. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think I have a lot of work to do now. I, I generally... Yes. Uh, look forward to just and, end and even story. even to the yeah. listener even to the listener i would uh uh suggest only one thing if i have to uh like when you look at yourself like take projects take activities on a regular basis which would put you in discomfort and see how you react pick pick those activities it could be your workout it could be your you know work related project but discomfort and your ability to deal with discomfort is your skill to grow we believe that we have to be more and more comfortable and what i'm saying yeah. is counterintuitive in that sense but if you do that if you literally keep honing your skill to be uncomfortable uh, through your learned mechanism off for a, for at least for a stipulated period and pick up new mechanisms and see what you want to do and how you discover yourself that is your way to go about this journey and that would be really really amazing for you if you do that yeah um definitely i think that people should be able to open up their genetic potential that is trapped within them because they've been doing the same things over and over again for years on end wow aditi surana this has been a blast to have you on this podcast so people can find me on instagram at aditi surana right that's a d i t i s u r a n a where else do you have another social that you would like to plug right now uh no instagram is good and my website is aditisurana.com and yeah. guys uh uh whatever uh, you can you know if you have questions regarding anxiety regarding we are doing a lot of free resource right now uh including the podcast that i do call absolutely right which is on ibm podcast or apple google or geo seven anywhere you can find yeah uh, do ask your questions and uh, uh, let me find best possible ways to find solutions to for that fantastic it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast and thank i'll see you on the other side thank you so much Bye bye. Bye bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with your friends or on your Instagram stories or whatever you have social networks. It really helps spread this podcast forward and as you probably realized by now, I'm an extremely curious person. I want to continue bringing on a wide variety of guests for your enjoyment and uh, education as well as mine. Um I know it's a working title, but you know everyone's working pretty fucking hard to make this shit happen. So share motherfuckers. Thank you so much. Bye bye.